Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. These are your DC Comics for the week of January 31st, 2022, 2023. <laughs> yeah, time to <laughs> cut a year off. Um, yeah, so it's a fifth Tuesday in the month, uh, which is so strange, right? Now that DC Comics come out on Tuesdays instead of Wednesdays. Oftentimes, I say this all the time, when it's that extra, there's four months that have that extra week. But then DC is no longer always the same as everything else, right? So this January, there's five Tuesdays, but there's not five Wednesdays. So as oftentimes, <clears throat> publishers try to catch up when they have that extra week, so to speak, or they put yeah. out the annuals or they put out specials. And in this case, anthologies 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 they're so painful they're reads i find them i i don't like anthologies i prefer not to read them I, I i don't like a bunch of stories in one i i like the i like 20 to 30 some odd pages but man these 105 pages and 86 pagers i just uh they sometimes they feel like a chore to get through i i, I agree with you here's the thing that where I, that i have to remind myself like there's so many times before like if you turn the clock back about three years DC, maybe 40 years, DC was not doing anywhere near the number of anthologies they're doing now. They do so many now. And I remember back at back then, oftentimes I would say, DC should do more anthologies, you know? Like if you're trying to attract new readers, you know, why why wouldn't they give you more bang for your buck? You know, technically, you're paying whatever, $3.99 or $4.99 for a 20-page comic. Well, now you're getting a hundred page comic or an 80 page comic and you're only paying a dollar or two more, you know, five ninety nine, may, maybe as much as seven ninety nine. So, you know, you're paying say twice as much, right? If it's seven ninety nine. But you're getting you're not getting forty pages, you're getting eighty pages or a hundred pages. So technically it's it's more value. And the other thing it does is it gives some lesser known creators or creators that don't have a regular gig a chance to see what they can do. So for that reason, I think anthologies are a good thing. However, for guys like you and me that <laughs> read everything and buy most of it, you're right, anthologies. And there's a couple of the ones here where, I mean, one in particular, I, I struggled, man. I really struggled. And what I find myself thinking is it's, it's not that anthologies are bad. It's not that these stories are bad. It's just I'm not really the target audience for the, you know, for this particular book. That's what it was yeah. kind of showing me. So <laughs> anyways, let's kick it off. The first book is a one shot. So it's not an anthology. It is just one story, but it's big. It's 40 pages. It's Batman legends of Gotham special. It's written by Andy Diggle. We have uh, art by Carl Mostert, who, if that name sounds familiar, he's the one that did the bat hound story in the Batman Urban Legends that Rocky and I both really liked. Uh, the colors are by Ramulo Fajardo Jr. Letters are by Troy Petrie. And this really picks up, it picks up on a couple of things. It's a little bit of fallout of Bane killing Alfred and how that affected Red Hood. It's a little bit of following on Brian Michael Bendis's Leviathan of all things, which really feels like it happened forever ago. And do we really need a like a follow up on that? And <laughs> yeah. then we get a little we get a little bit of of outsiders as well. So 
In my mind, far and away, the best thing about this story is the Carl Mostert art. I mean, the uh, Fajardo Jr. colors are, are great as well, but, you know, I come to expect that from him, um, especially where Black Lightning is concerned and him using his powers. That, that just looks fast, fantastic. Lightning looks like it's glowing on the page. So that that's really great. But as far as the story, I found myself wondering who's asking, who's asking for this? Like it feels like an inventory story in a lot of ways, like a two part story that they didn't know where to put it. And so they said, well, let's just put out a special and, you know, maybe because it's been so long since Leviathan, like I said, they're like, well, we, once Dawn of DC really gets going proper when it's not just one, one issue of action comics, this story's really not going to have any context. So, you know, if we want to basically get value for the dollars we've paid these creators to do this, I guess now's the time to put it out. But I got to wonder, like, who's asking, who's asking for this? Um, Especially because when you get to the end of the story, and I'm I'm not going to talk at all about the story because the story's just kind of meh. and so I'll let Rocky talk about that. But the the one other thing that I'll say is you get to the end of the story and it says the end question mark, as you know, we see comics do so often these days. And so I wonder, is there a new Red Hood? Is Red Hood joining the Outsiders? Is it going to be Red Hood and the Outsiders? It's a, not really a dynamic that I enjoyed. Uh, Jason Todd and, and Jefferson Pierce, they're both kind of alpha males. They're both used to being in charge. I can't really see them getting along. Um, and the only other thing I'll say, and then I'll turn it over to you, Rock, is uh, I thought the characterization of Bane here was very strange. <laughs> he, he's talking with this vocabulary that I've never heard him use before, and he's back to having the venom tubes in his head. Like, he stopped using venom a long time ago. So, again, where does the continuity, editors? So, yeah, this was only okay for me. I mean, as a standalone story, I will give it credit. Uh, even though, I, as I said, it ties into Leviathan or has some uh, kind of history or context with Leviathan, you could read this as a standalone story, and it's fine. Uh, it's probably entertaining. It, it probably actually works better outside of DC continuity to say, hey, this is out there on its own. Don't think about any of the other things that it has, um, that it touches, because again, there's continuity errors in it. Um so yeah, I just I at the end of the day, I just thought this was okay narratively, um, although I did enjoy the art. So, what did you think? Well, first of all, uh, the first thing is that this is called Batman Legends of Gotham. It's a one shot, and it has nothing to do with Batman. Quite frankly, it's an outsider story, so the title is completely wrong. So that's the first clue that this is a throwaway story. Um, how, having said that, I'm going to defend the story a bit because it's not entirely a throwaway. It actually is kind of interesting. This is the most interesting that any concept of Leviathan ever was. I mean, this was actually Leviathan. It was a this was a a story coming off the heels of the story of Leviathan. Essentially, Leviathan, Mark Shaw, Leviathan, destroyed all the intelligence agencies, was supposedly the only intelligence agency left on the planet. Leviathan was ultimately killed because Talia took over Leviathan. And all this is, is Leviathan, at one point in Leviathan Checkmate by Brian Bendis, the, part of the script was Leviathan was trying to... Uh, in, uh, trying to infiltrate the heroes network and get all the information and all the spies in the world because they got all the information uh, for uh, 
all the information and intelligence databases were transferred to Leviathan and Leviathan uh, slash Mark Shaw wanted to get information on the Heroes Network, on the on the Fortress of Solitude, the Hall of Justice, et cetera, et cetera. Well, basically this story, I actually found this story somewhat interesting, personally, that that basically this is this takes place while Batman's off the grid. So we'll presume maybe at some point in the middle of Dark Crisis. We don't know. It's not really clear. But basically, somebody is, uh, Leviathan is trying to auction off it's the information that it obtained on all the intelligence agencies. So it's going to sell off to the highest bidder all its information on intelligence agencies and spies from all the intelligence around the globe and all the information it has on all the heroes and all the villains. And so this is, it's all going to go to the highest bidder. And so all, it's a who's who of super villainy wanting to bid for this. And so at the beginning, it just shows Red Herd infiltrating sub-level seven, a, a really, uh, one of the deeper levels of the Bat Cave, and that's being protected by Black Lightning and Katana, who are base, who are aware that this, that this information by Leviathan is going to be auctioned off. And ultimately there's the, there's the typical thing at the beginning where they, they think Red Hood's a bad guy. And then they sort of, you know, they, they, have a they have a little fight with each other and then they decide that well red hood would you mind joining us we need somebody to help us infiltrate this auction and ultimately red hood calls upon killer croc to help him infiltrate this auction where only super villains are there uh because red hood has sort of a quasi anti-hero status even amongst the villains arguably you have to believe that in order to make the story work he infiltrates the auction and ultimately bane of all people ends up Spending, he has the uh, the country of uh, Santa Prisca, Prisca uh, where where Bane is, of course, the ruler of. He's he got the bankers together and he pays out one hundred billion dollars. <laughs> I mean, Mercy is there from Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor's uh, assistant Mercy is there, and she starts the bidding at one billion. There, there's even somewhat of a quasi joke. There's uh, there's a, another person there. Um, Con- condiment king bids ten dollars to start the bidding off is kind of a joke and kind of funny and in any event bane wins the auction uh one billion dollars one hundred billion dollars uh but then ultimately uh through this was a very long issue and through a lot there was it was action-packed i i thought it was i thought it was action-packed enough i actually I enjoyed reading this. As I got into it, I actually enjoyed the action-packed nature of it. And ultimately, Black Lightning and Katana have to infiltrate the auction, uh, which takes place in this. Which actually takes place in this. Um, uh, it's called Dbit. It's an orbital crypto bank, and it's uh, this orbital crypto bank is where this auction is taking place, where they're auctioning off, and it's it's got an encrypt uh, to the winner will go an encrypted code that will transfer to you at a secret location one hundred billion dollars, and ultimately there is. Uh, uh, at the end, they want to Bane. While Bane wins the the auction and has the information, it's essentially stolen from him. And as it turns out, at the very end of the story, it's actually Talia. Talia sends in one of her operatives, who is this new character, this new red haired, short red haired character, an agent of Leviathan, whose name we are never really given. But she's uh, a very very good. She she in she was uh, she sort of plays the patsy. And Red Hood sort of rescues her She, because you think she's innocent, but she's really working for Talia. And what it, it appears as if what Talia has done is that as leader of Leviathan, Talia purportedly moved to sell off these secrets 
to get the money. So Talia has pulled off quite the heist. She has managed to get $100 billion from Bain, from the highest bidder, and she's actually kept the information. So Leviathan now is $100 billion richer, and they still are the only holders of the secrets of all the intelligence operations in the world and agents as well as the heroes and villains. So it was quite quite the coup by Talia. Now, the question in terms of timing of this story is interesting because this this story could technically be happening right now. Uh, even though Batman's not in it, the fact is, is that I think the point of this story maybe is to say that, look, Leviathan is still a powerful player. They're still the number one villainous sort of uh, uh, villainous organization out there led by Talia. It's now $100 billion richer. It's still powerful. It's still relevant. It just doesn't have Mark Shaw anymore. It has Talia. And the final image is Talia with this intimid- holding this intimidating spear and holding in her hand the, the microchip that contains all this information on the intelligence operations and agents and heroes and all the identities that it uh, had that Mark Shaw Leviathan originally had access to. So I think that the story has some potential relevance here. Uh, is it absolutely necessary? No. But it, it's a nice it's sort of a nice cap on Leviathan. I don't like the way Leviathan Checkmate ended. So I kind of like this brings a little bit more closure to it. And it makes more sense as Talia steps up to the plate and it raises the importance and the agency of Talia as being quite intimidating, powerful in her own right. So, you know, I, I it's not, it's, it's, I think, frankly, it's one of the better reads this week. And, and uh, I can be more critical of it, but I actually enjoyed it. I like the art by Carl Marstart. And for Andy Diggle coming in and trying to piece together all this stuff, uh, he did a good job. I also, I'm compelled to say one thing about Bane. In, in Task Force X, we, we already had kind of a moment where Jason Todd dealt with his anger toward Bane, even though in Task Force X, Force X in pardon me in Task Force Z as in zombie even though it wasn't Bane it was revealed to be Gotham I feel that this was a little bit repetitive Andy Diggle dealing with with the motivation here with with uh, Red uh, Red Hood wanting revenge on Bane it didn't quite feel necessarily as as impactful as it could because I felt that we kind of dealt with that through Task Force Z in that series written by Matthew Rosenberg, even though it wasn't really Bane, it was Gotham, but you thought it was Bane for for all those 11 issues until the 12th issue. So in any event, it was still okay, and it was still, you know, at the end of the day, it's not necessary to read, but if you're a fan of The Outsiders, you might want to pick it up. Yeah, I would say for sure, if you're a fan of The Outsiders, um, although really, if you're a fan of Red Hood, this is a Red Hood story more than, yeah. more than anything <laughs> that, else. So That is true. Anyway, on to the first anthology. Hope you're all ready for Valentine's Day. It's DC's Harley Quinn Romances, number one. And there are eight stories in here. It's an 80-page giant. The first one is Harley Quinn and Strangers in Fiction, written by Alexis Quasarano. Art by Max Sarin, colors by Marisa Louise, and letters by Taylor Esposito. Second one is Batman and Here's to Jack, Here's to Molly, written by Zipporah Smith. Zippera Smith. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Z-I-P-P-O-R-A-H. So Zippora. I mean, that's how it's spelled. Anyway, art is by Will Robinson. Colors by Andrew Dalhouse. Letters by Steve Wands. Power Girl in Power Girl and All-American Boy, written by Amanda Dybert. Art by Adriana Mello. Colors by John Kalis. Letters by Becca Carey. We've got Constantine in Grace, written by Frank Allen. Art by John McRae. Colors by Mike Spicer. Letters by Becca Carey. Fire and Ice and Dating App Disaster, written by Raphael Dracone and 
Carolina Munoz, art by Ig Guara, letters by Yvonne Placencia, and letters by Becca Carey. Midnighter and Apollo in Across the Multiverse, written by, Brig, written by Greg Lockard, art by Guillermo Massioni. Colors by Fabs and Nacero, letters by Ariana Mare. Once Upon a Romance Novel, starring Kite Man, written by Jessica Burby. Art by Priscilla Perretis. Colors by Michael Atea and letters by Seda Timofante. And finally, Aquaman and Harley Quinn in Splendor in the Foam, written by Ivan Cohen. Art by Fico Osio, letters by Carlos M. Manguel, and colors by Sebastian Cheng. So <laughs> I will say this. Before I say any, anything else, the co- the covers on this, every one of them, <coughs> is fantastic. It has like this worn out edge, like an old battered dime store romance novel that's been read hundreds of times. Yeah, um, <laughs> including one with Clark barechested that I'm sure many people will find uh, very alluring. Um, <laughs> You know, I'm not necessarily one of them, but I, I like kind of the throwback style of these of these covers. That being said, uh, this is not for me. Romance novels, romance stories. Yeah, it's no, it's not. I, the Harley Quinn one to start it off and to finish it, I thought were especially um, like missed the target for me. Like I really didn't care for him. The Batman story that was second, I thought was okay. Uh, the Constantine one, maybe a little less than okay, uh, but still better than the two Harley Quinn ones. The Fire and Ice one, also okay. Midnight Apollo, okay. The Kite Man one, I thought was pretty funny. It actually has a good ending on it, so I did enjoy that one. Um, the one that I thought, okay, I, I'm glad I read it and I would read it again was the Power Girl and uh, an All-American Boy, which turned out to be Jimmy Olsen, written by Amanda Dybert, which I suppose is no surprise because I'm a fan of Amanda's writing. And the art in that one by Adriana Mello is really good. The colors are good. The pacing was good. And I, I, I'm reading these, right? And I'm like, oh, just not in the mood. Maybe it's because you know I'm old and not single and dating anymore or whatever, um, that I don't really care to read this kind of stuff. But I found myself when I got to the power girl one, I was like, no, I'm into this. I'm into this. Like I like the idea of power girl and Jimmy Olsen. Like I like them together as a couple. Well, and I should say star and, and Jimmy Olsen because Karen star. Yeah. yeah, Jimmy doesn't know that it's power. Although he certainly has a crush on power. girl. He's taken plenty of pictures of her and who wouldn't right? I mean, power girls, you know, built like a tank. She's awesome. So, uh, yeah, that one I enjoyed. That one I, I would read again, and I would be all in for uh, that relationship of of Power Girl and, and Jimmy Olsen. I think that would be fun. Um, but the rest of them were, yeah, just okay to below average in my mind. Yeah, this was hard for me to get through. It took me like three different sittings before I finally finally got through all of it. So, uh, yeah, maybe you enjoyed it more. What did you think? Well, I did. Uh, first thing I want to talk about is the Power Girl story. Uh, this, this, uh, uh, I'm, 
kudos to writer Amanda Debert because this Power Girl story, and along with the art by Adriana Mello, this is what Power Girl should be. They should take this story out and put it in Action Comics and get rid of that abortion that was in Action Comics 1051 uh, by Lee Williams. This is the Power Girl I know and love. This is a Power Girl who is uh, impactful, who's intelligent, who's the head of a billion-dollar company, who's super intelligent. And uh, frankly, uh, what better way? It makes far more sense that Power Girl is like, it has to be asked because no one's bothered to ask this. So I'm going to say it. Power Girl is not a member of the Superman family. She shouldn't be. She's Power Girl. She's she's not related to the Power Superman family. She's from Earth too. She's she's not actually, there's no, there's no direct correlation between Power Girl and the Superman family, quite frankly, other than the fact that she's, she's literally, she's very, very different. So even, even, what they did by giving Power Girl like a, a you know, the changing her costume by giving her that little mini jacket with the S on it, that should be explained. If you're going to make Power Girl a member of the Superman family, why? How is Power Girl a member of the Superman family in any way, shape or form other than the fact that she's from, she, she explained that. But they don't bother explaining it. Instead, all of a sudden, she's a telepath. No explanation at all. She's just an action comics. This here, having her date Jimmy Olsen, Having her as Karen Starr date Jimmy Olsen, that would be an interesting way to pull her into the Superman family. This is what works. Also, uh, it's a little bit absurd that they that Jimmy Olsen doesn't know that. I mean, this she's not even wearing glasses. Of course, I thought everybody knew that Karen Starr was Power Girl. I thought it was fairly obvious. She doesn't hide. She doesn't even change her hairstyle. For God's sakes, she's identical. Literally identical. You got to be brain dead to not know that Karen Starr is Power Girl. I mean, totally brain dead. Same hairstyle, same breasts, same pet. I mean, you, you really got to be blind. I mean, if, she's, if she was at least small breasted in her secret identity, she's not. But okay, I'm nitpicking. Bottom line is here I love Adriana Mello. Her art's fantastic. She draws the pair very well. Thank you very much. She understands that Power Girl is a sexual creature. She draws her that way and she's, but uh, Jimmy Olsen, to his credit, doesn't freak out when he see, you know, he's a, he's a gentleman. He, he loves her. He loves Power Girl. He's just a, he's just, he's a good guy. They end up, you know, going their own ways at the end and they, and they kiss each other and it's all, it's all well and good. But bottom line is that's the way you do a Power Girl story. Sadly, we're getting what we're getting in by Lee Williams, which completely misses the boat. But, uh, the other story I liked, I liked the, uh, I liked the uh, Constantine and, uh, Dead Man story where Constantine, uh, Dead Man ends up dating a woman that might be, might very well be one of the women that he dated when he was younger and uh, he dead man occupies a body and goes on a sort of like goes on a blind date while Constantine is battling some nefarious uh, other world force. And it's a nice conversation where we're, where we're Boston brand reminisces about his life when he was still alive and dating and what have you. It's kind of depressing a little bit, but you know, Whatever it is, what it is. They uh, there's a nice story about, about fire and ice called App Disaster, uh, where they you know fire you know fire has again fire goes on a blind date. There's a superhero app where superheroes can date other superheroes. Uh, not much was done with it, unfortunately. I I, I, I thought the story lacked an enormous amount, a surprising amount of uh, creativity. Quite frankly, I was hoping for that writer Raphael. Dracon and Carolina Munoz. I wish it had, was a little bit more creative, but it's not. It's fire goes on a blind date. Ice dis discovers that the guy she's dating is, uh, has some secrets. And then, you know, that's it. 
that's it. And then they decide that for Valentine's Day, Fire and Ice are just going to hold hands and be really good friends. Uh, okay, it's just kind of boring. Um, there's the Midnighter and Apollo story by uh, Gray Lockhart, who's the writer. Uh, you know, again, that was, it's okay. You know, again, it's just, uh, uh, I, <laughs> it's just Midnighter being captured and Apollo going nuts trying to capture him. Not a big fan of the art, uh, Gilo Macchione on the artist. I gotta say, most of these writers here, uh, these are all brand new, these writers. And it, it, it bothers me a little bit. Uh, th these these stories, it's hard to judge the writing only because the stories mean nothing pretty much. Like they're meaningless stories. They're just one-shot stories. But it, um, what I don't want, I don't want to see these writers on mainstream titles, quite frankly, moving forward. <laughs> I, want, I want bigger names for the mainstream DC titles for the dawn of the DCU. These are the rookies. And they, you know, if you want to relegate the rookies to these types of anthologies, fine. But maybe keep them there. They really need to get their feet wet. I'm really, I'm really nervous because this sort of feels like these stories were sort of basically kind of phoned in. The Kite Man story is, uh, is probably the funniest because Kite Man, the entire story is him fantasizing about, he's anthropomorphizing his kite. He imagines his kite as an attractive female and it's kind of a little bit disturbing and he even gives up a date with an attractive woman because he wants to basically sit there and make out with his kite. I mean, you can read between the lines there, so it's kind of... It's he imagines that his kite's giving him a massage and everything, and that's all revealed at the end. But anyways, it I, there are some stories to have some fun with in here, um, you know. I but again, my my favorite by far was the Power Girl and Jimmy Olsen. I agree with you, and, and the Kite Man was by by far the best. And uh, yeah, it's you know I'm I'm not. Um, I'm not going to be picking this up. Uh, there's a temptation on the cover buys here, but I don't know. I've I've sort of given. I'm to save money. I'm not. I'm not spending ten dollars on on basically anthologies. I'm I'm more into the stories now because now nowadays covers are fairly useless. I mean, cover buys are just maybe maybe that's Superman chest. Clark Kent's chest looks pretty amazing there. I might have to pick that up. You know, ooh, sexy Superman. I might have to pick that up. But uh, beyond that, I it was yeah, you know nice covers, but you know I think. The, Overall, other than the Power Girl story and Kite Man, I think the lot of it is just filler. Yeah, again, it's it, it's tough because, like I said, there's there's something to be said for you know giving these writers a chance to get their feet wet, like you said. But yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> you do want people to actually spend money on it and be entertained. And again, maybe it's just you know we're not exactly romance novel reading kind of kind of guys so uh anyway let's move yeah. on <laughs> up next uh, another anthology this one's celebrating february as black history month uh and celebrating the very wide lineup of african-american characters that exist in the dc universe so we have black paradise starring evan narcisse with art by daryl banks who i haven't seen daryl banks draw a story in a long, long time. So that was great to see his uh, art back in a DC book. Star that, that story stars Amazing Man. Uh, Hi-Fi is the colorist on that one. Separate but Equal, which is a, a Black Lightning story written by Lamont McGee. Chris Cross is the penciler. Juan Castro does the inks and Will Quintana on colors. The Queen, the Bee, and the Symphony, 
which is uh, Anubia and uh, Queen Bee, or a uh, Bumblebee story, uh, written by Stephanie Williams, Aletha Martinez as penciler, Mark Morales on inks, Alex Squirmus on colors. Keep the pe- Keeping the Peace, uh, which is written by Brandon Thomas and uh, Natasha Bustos does the art on that one. Um, that one I thought was kind of interesting. It, it's a John, John Stewart story, and it flashes back to when he was 12 and then current time. Um, and Brandon, Brandon Thomas's take on uh, on John Stewart I thought was, was interesting. Uh, the next story is called uh, uh, Own Your Name. It's Aquaman and Kid Flash, written by Dorado Quick which I thought was interesting considering it's Kid Flash. Um, and Jordan Clark is a co-writer. Clayton Henry is the artist, Marcelo Maiello on colors. And then is it the last story? Yeah, Cyborg uh, called Booyah, written by Morgan Hampton, who's going to be writing the ongoing, was announced last week, writing the ongoing Cyborg. Uh, Valentin Delandro is the artist, Marisa Luis on colors. Um, and being that it was Valentin Delandro, whose art we saw in Future State and didn't like, Oh, Black then, Manta, who's Black Manta yeah, as well, is off. Uh, but man, the, the art has greatly improved. Very much uh, improved, yes. Yeah, I thought the art was was pretty good on that one. And then uh, there's a Vixen and Batwing story, which m- might be my favorite. Um, I really like their interaction. That one's written by Chuck Brown. Peterson Oliveri is the artist on that one. DJ Chavez on colors. And then the last story is uh, an I Am Batman story or uh, Jace Fox Batman story called The Calvary, written by John Ridley. Olivier Copiel is the artist, gorgeous art. Um, and this one's actually one that I, I, was, I read it without really looking at the title page that closely. And then I was like, wait, I've read this before. And sure enough, it even says on, on the title page, it's a reprint from... Um, Batman Black and White Volume 2. So, actually, there's one more I almost forgot. Uh, it's Sojourner Mullen, Joe Mullen. Uh, and where's the credits for this one? Um, I mean, it clearly looks like Jamal Campbell art, but for some reason. It doesn't show the credits for this one. Yeah, so let me go back to the credits page. Sorry, everybody. Um, and give you the credits for that one if it's here. Yeah, Far Sector Preview. Um, N.K. Jemison and Jamal Campbell, as I, as I said. So, yeah, I think Far Sector is coming back because it it's, does say it's a preview. There's also some pinups, one by Edwin Galmon of Joe Mullen. There's a Vixen one by Mano Azumi, Nubia by Robin Smith, Steel Family by Jerry Gaylord, Superman by Jay Hero, Signal by Sean Damien Hill, and Bolt by Taryn Clark. So um, I thought these were, were okay. Uh, again, not great. And it doesn't have anything to do with it being Black History Month. I just – none of them really grabbed me um, because none of them really felt that complete. You know what I mean? Like they all felt like, okay, th- this is part of the story but not the whole story. I mean get, don't get me wrong. I love Amazing Man and All-Star Squadron. So I was excited to see that. I was excited to see Daryl Banks' art on that. But yeah, it was it was only okay. The separate but equal felt a little heavy-handed to be honest. Um, the John Stewart one, you know, again, I mean, it's not that big of a John Stewart fan. It was additive, I guess, to his, um, his backstory. I got no idea. He was bullied as a kid. 
So that was fine. The cyborg story, also fine. I am intrigued to see what Morgan Hampton does. And as I said, the Valentin Delandra art was better than I'd seen before. Uh, the Chase Fox Batman I'd read before. The Far Sector one has me interested. What's going to come next for uh, Joe Mullen? I think she's a very interesting character. But the Vixen and Batman is really the only one where, you know, if there were like an ongoing, I would be interested in reading it. Like, let's, let's, let's see where this can go. I like the idea of of uh, Tim Fox and, or not Luke Fox, sorry. Um, Luke Fox and, um, and Vixen together as a couple. Um, although I feel like Vixen's been around so much longer than Luke Fox is almost like he's dating his mom, but that's, that's not the case. Like they're actually pretty close in age. Uh, she was just introduced, you know, way before him. But, uh, but anyway, again, I mean, it's an anthology. It's a chance to give some of these creators who, haven't um, done work before, a chance to, to write something and, you know, a chance for maybe some writer, some creators like uh, Daryl Banks to come back and get their, get their feet wet. So uh, the other thing that I really liked is I, I loved actually, you pick this up and maybe you're not familiar with these characters. Well, at the end of each story, they have a little who's who entry. Yes. So you read this story um, you know, but like the first story by Evan Narcisse with art by Daryl Banks. And you're like, who the heck is this amazing man? What are his powers or whatever? Um, you know, you can kind of get it from context in the story, but if you're not sure, Hey, here's a quick synopsis of the character. Here's who he is with some beautiful art. Uh, so I, I thought that was great. Um, and I felt like if you're going to do these anthologies, DC, like I was saying at the beginning of the episode, uh, somebody new, a new reader, this is perfect for them because you, again, you get more value for your comic dollar and you're getting a chance to pick, pick up one book and you get introduced to a lot of characters, but you might have a lot of questions. So I, I almost think that going forward in all their anthologies, they need to be putting these who, who, who's who pages in again, you feel like you're getting more value for your dollar uh, and you've learned more about who these characters are. So I, I thought that was, that was a fantastic choice. I don't know whose choice that was, but whoever it was, maybe it was, um, the editor? I don't know. The editor's not even listed here now. Oh, they're probably listed at the end. Um, and I don't think I mentioned who the letter is. And, and World Design does all the letters for all of these. So, uh, yeah, it was edited by Chris Rosa. Or I'm sorry, associate editor Chris Rosa. Marquis Draper is the editor. So if one of them was the one that made the decision to put those who, who pages in, then uh, kudos to you. So uh, what were your thoughts on this? Well, first, I'm going to – I would recommend that if somebody wants to get a taste of uh, the more of the – well, frankly, let's be honest, the B, C, and D listers of the DC universe, you want to pick this up. And I don't say that as an insult. I love my B and C listers. But these are ones that are potentially A listers, you know, good solid B plus some of them. And they're strong and, and powerful uh, characters in their own right within the DC universe, especially with the new DC universe moving forward. Now, I hate to say this, and I don't want to get all political, but I think that there's a certain segment of the comic collecting public that might avoid this because it's DC power and that it was and, and that they won't pick it up be precisely because it's meant to just highlight 
the minorities of the the minority and the p- people of color in the DC universe, and so they might not take it seriously insofar as thinking that it's important in terms of continuity, that it's not really important to know the characters because if these characters are going to show up elsewhere and other stories anyway, so don't we really need to pick this up? And I got to tell you that I, I want people. I'm gonna, I'm going to be picking this up because. I think that th- these are stories that are worth reading. I share your sentiment that the the who's who that are is sprinkled throughout is excellent. I think the stories are pick- worth picking up too. Uh, one of the things that's happening is is that for uh, for the majority of these stories, for about at least probably eighty percent of these stories, I forget how many of the stories there actually are, but in, in any event, I'd say about. Uh, there's only two stories here that don't have some level of politics. This does, in other words, this does deal with racism. This does deal with social topics that impact people of color. It does, and it's part of some of, a lot of their origins, whether it's John Stewart, whether it's Joe Mullen, Green Lantern, uh, whether it's Amazing Man during the, during World War II, and 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 it feels more real that way. It feels more impactful. But if you're one of these people where you're you still haven't gotten over the you still take. You're still very sensitive to that because of reasons and politics and the comic culture war and blah blah blah. Then you probably don't want to pick this up because you're just going to find just another reason to uh, to, to feed your own um, uh, preconceived notions of what a comic book story should be about. And so it's. But I will say this: I like the Amazing Man story because it basically built on his start, his appearance in All Star Squadron, and it takes it tells the story of what happened to Amazing Man. After World War II, where he goes back to Detroit and he basically is combating, he's 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 combating the real American who was a sort of robotic, uh, racist construct that was created to essentially uh, as a way to create propaganda and and basically use race as sort of a, a race as a, as an excuse to sort of attack Americans and to and to cause uh, division amongst Americans and I thought it was very well uh, very well written by Yvonne Narcisse and Daryl Banks as the artist I think they did a pretty good job I I quite enjoyed it I thought it I thought it was very good and and I love All-Star Squadron I would love to see Amazing Man make an appearance in Justice Society I hope Jeff John sort of utilizes him at, at some point or at least the next generation of, of, of Amazing Man had any offspring I, I like the story with, with Black Lightning Black Lightning and his daughters uh, Black Lightning and his daughters um um uh Victor sorry um I didn't do these things in order. Uh, Black Lightning and his daughters, Anise, who is Thunder, and Jen Pierce, who is Lightning. Uh, that story has to do with, uh, it, it almost deals with an X-Men sort of idea that, that there was a school that wanted to have a separate school for metahumans, these teenage metahumans, teenagers in the DC universe that are manifesting their powers are a danger to the school, so we should create a separate school system for, for, for students with abilities. Well, that sounds an awful lot like X-Men, so they're playing with that a bit there. Nothing really comes of it because... Because some students, some evil metahuman, uh, some evil uh, whatever racists or who don't like metahumans, they want to they they try to create some havoc and blame it on metahumans, create sort of a false flag attack and blame teenage metahumans and and black lightning and thunder and lightning stop that from happening. And so I kind of like that storyline and I sort of like the idea of as we're getting more and more 
more and more of a new generation of DC superheroes, young teenage superheroes, which we're seeing more and more of. The idea, and we, we got hints of it in Teen Titans Academy and with the fallout from that. There's a lot of reasons for maybe the citizens of the DC universe to be worried. Look what happened to DC uh, to Teen Titans Academy. Look what happened there. I mean, maybe these new batch of young su- superheroes, maybe they are something we should be concerned about. So I like that this was touched upon in the Black Lightning story, and maybe we'll see more of it. And we also got the uh, we got the who's who at the end of that. The Nubia and the Bumblebee story was by far the biggest. I don't know why it was in here. It was it was a ridiculous story, quite frankly, about Bumblebee's husband is a musician and Nubia, for whatever reason, wants to go to a concert. And then, of all things, uh, Mr. Milieu, Mr. Milieu and, and, the, and the brain of the Brotherhood of Evil show up. He wants, because the gorilla's in love with the brain and he wants the brain, he wants to create a nice event for the brain and anyways it was just it was a ridiculous story again nubia is i we have not gotten a single good nubia story ever in 2022 we have yet to get the definitive nubia story we haven't got one yet at any point in her history and i don't see anything happening in the foreseeable future although there is talk that wonder woman will be revitalized uh going into 2024 uh i'm not going to hold my breath uh joe mulin uh her character we got more of a concise uh Oh, sorry, we got, sorry, uh, I guess John Stewart was first. Uh, the John Stewart story, I think, was a mistake putting in here only because we get, we, he's, he's get, he pretty much is getting his own backup. But it's always good to see a different take on Joe, on uh, John Stewart. Uh, he actually, in this story, John Stewart utilizes Teen Lantern to help him negotiate a, a peace between warring alien species. And he has Teen Lantern basically create a false flag operation making these two warring parties thinking that they have a greater threat to deal with forcing them to come together as 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 allies to battle a greater threat that wasn't really a threat at all it was just a bunch of constructs created by the teen by teen lantern and so it was a nice story and had its good moments with flashbacks to john stewart as a young boy and i thought i thought it worked kind uh kind of well aquaman and kid flash story uh, I thought was uh, I, di- I didn't mind it. It was it, it basically had K- Wallace West just sort of questioning himself, feeling like the one of the more least in, one of the less important flashes, and and being a little bit insecure. And ultimately, uh, ultimately they end up confronting um, uh, what is it the the thinker who is sort of mentally manipulating them, uh, aggravating his insecurities, and Jackson Hyde nonsense like i don't know jackson high just pops up out of nowhere i don't know he's there's no reason for them to be together in in this particular story they just they happen to run into each other uh but i thought it was a you know good enough story but really doesn't really go anywhere but you know it is what it is the cyborg story was i was the most interested about because i'm um, Morgan Hampton is, is a writer with a great deal of inexperience. Uh, he is definitely an experiment, uh, and they, they gave him the cyborg title. And so I was really curious to see what he'd bring to the table. You mentioned the art by Valentin Delandro. Valentin Delandro had my vote had my vote for worst artist of 2022 by far. In, in with his with the work in Black Manta was absolutely awful. Uh, I don't think it's any coincidence that Chuck Brown probably didn't want Delandro to to to, to uh, draw his story, which is also in here but this cyborg story isn't bad and to the credit of uh, valentin delandro this is his best art that i think he's ever done in a comic book ever it's substantially improved on the god-awful uh black manta at least in this delandro's art you can actually see backgrounds 
<laughs> you, you can actually see line work. Uh, you can actually see some, some attempt at, uh, at, at creating action and some clarity as to what's happening. And uh, Chuck Brown's, uh, and uh, pardon me, uh, uh, the writer M Morgan Hampton. Morgan Hampton does seem to have a good handle on Cyborg. Might be a little bit cliche, but he has Cyborg say such things as... Uh, because these are clues about uh, for Cyborg m moving forward. I can be the best of both worlds, man and machine. I have to accept who I am. I'm. You have to learn that you're more than your limitations. And when you are ready, I'm here to help. Cyborg helps Livewire come to terms with the fact that Livewire feels she doesn't feel like herself because she's always needing energy. She always feels like she's 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 weak. She always feels like she has to power up somehow. And Cyborg is there to, to say to her, "I can help you." And so it's clear that uh, Morgan Hampton has believes that Cyborg is a very uh, strong-willed heroic person cyborg also misses his mom terribly and he has flashbacks of his mom giving him inspiration and he had a good upbringing he had a wonderful mother and i think that's going to be the center the moral center point of the cyborg series um uh when morgan hampton starts off with it it's all going to come down to what the stories are like and plot wise what, what hampton does with cyborg and victor stone but i thought this was i, I was impressed with this and it's worth noting that uh that it's not going to be Delandro on the art moving forward for Cyborg moving forward. The artist is going to be uh, Tom Rainey is going to be the uh, uh, the artist for the Cyborg series moving forward. Um, the Vixen and Night uh, Vixen and Batwing. I I absolutely love this. I think putting Luke Fox together with Vixen is an inspired idea. If it's been done before, I missed it. Uh, to my knowledge, I don't think they've ever been together before. Um, it's actually a great Valentine's Day story. I would almost expect this to be in the Harley romance uh, story, but I thought this was just so well done. The 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 report Chuck Brown. I think this. For, I'll be blunt. This is my my. This is the best Chuck Brown story that he's written for DC. This is better than all his Black Manta stuff combined. And uh, I quite enjoyed this story. It was short, sweet, and to the point. Basically, it just involves Vixen and Batwing. Uh, uh, basically. Um, they're, they they went and they they prevent the assassination of of a king uh, by the by the Black Manta. So Chuck Brown actually, it's nice to see Black Manta beautifully drawn, <laughs> and I'm sure Chuck Brown is pleased to see that it's drawn by Peterson Oliveira as the artist and not Delantro. So I thought the story worked really well, and I love the flirtatiousness and this and the and the flirtation and the and the sexual innuendo constantly. You could you could these two have rapport with each other; they're attracted to each other. And Vixen and Luke Fox, I want to see more of these two together. And I, you know, I'm looking forward to it, and I love the who's who of Vixen at the end. Um, I am Batman reprint. I don't need to discuss that. And, um, I think that takes us, yeah, that pretty much takes us to the end. The, uh, the Joe Mullen story, the Green Lantern, uh, she has an origins based in 9-11. I thought that was interesting. And she was member, she used to be, uh, she was a member of the New York City Police Department. There was some corruption. Her partner beat somebody up and she reported him. And then she got, she got linked to a Black Lives Ladder movement, Black Lives Matter movement, and that caused her to, that caused her to get really, really upset, and uh, she got, uh, she she felt discriminated against, she felt wronged, and then she ends up. And I'm trying to find the story here, but it's so bloody long on these pages. Uh, a guardian of Oa, who 
Guardians look like Guardians, but in in what I I'm, I'm gonna have to I have to find this story because I want to show it to people. I'm trying to find. Uh, yeah, while you're looking for that, I I just wanted to comment on the cyborg story. Um, okay. Yeah, we mentioned um, Morgan Hampton taking on the regular role. Th- this is a different cyborg. Like the the, the cyborg, the the Vic Stone, as Morgan writes him, and I'm I'm curious. I'll I'll have to ask Morgan next time I see him. You know where he's where he feels like he's drawing inspiration from because Morgan's way too young to have read the Wolfman Perez Titans when it came out. But I, I sort of feel like, and not that Jeff Johns took great liberties, but the, even the cyborg before Johns put him in Justice League when New 52 started, Vic had become less of a grounded, almost reluctant superhero like he was back in the day in under Wolfman and Perez. Yeah. Yeah. He was powerful. Yeah. He had these abilities cause he was, you know, half man, half machine. But if you'd asked him, he would have preferred to have just not had the accident and been human. He wasn't, he was a hero because of, you know, his sense of duty and he had the ability, not because he necessarily wanted to do it. Um, but that had really changed or at least it felt like it did throughout the, you know, nineties and two thousands and especially when you talk about making him a founding member of the justice league of, of America, or, or I guess it was just called justice league when it launched with new 52, this Vic stone that Morgan gives us in this story, it's more of the everyday, Hey, I'm a hero because I, uh, you know, it's a, it, it's a circumstance, right? It's a role of circumstance. He's out there in Detroit, in Detroit on the streets, helping out when he can because he's not going to, you know, turn his back on people in need. Not that he's out there looking to, you know, travel around in space and interface with all, you know, with Brainiac ship and do all these fantastical things. To me, that's not the interesting part of Cyborg, right? When you make him super fantastical and whatever, like I want more of the human side of Vic Stone. What does it mean to be half man, half machine? You know, that, that was what Wolfman and Perez really explored how much it bothered him that he didn't feel human. And, you know, David Walker tried to explore that a little bit, but I feel like his run got truncated. John Semper to a lesser degree tried to explore it as well. So hopefully with what we're seeing and with the art that we got, um, it looks like that's the direction they'll be headed, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. But anyway, what, what were you going to say about the uh, guardian in well, the Joe just, just uh, changing gears, uh, changing gears to Joe Mullen, the new Green Lantern. She she had a twelve issue series uh, called Far Sector, where she was. We were just introduced to her out of the blue, and she was a new Green Lantern with her own ring that basically powers itself that doesn't require a power battery and it's not as powerful as the other green lantern rings but it, it doesn't need a central power battery to power itself and but we, it was never clear what her origin was what was joe Melian's origin and we actually get her origin here and her origin is that she was basically a cop in new york city uh, she grew up and she remembers as a young child seeing witnessing 9-11 and that inspired her you know her parents divorced that inspired her uh 
I guess ultimately growing up, she decided to become a cop to, to help the community. Her partner ends up beating up a suspect. She reports her her partner. And then while she's reporting her partner, uh, the, of course, her fellow officers don't like her. Uh, Internal Affairs gets involved. She gets branded a traitor by her, by her fellow police officers. And meanwhile, that's just when the Black Lives Movement is gaining momentum. And one of her friends who's a member of the Black Lives Movement's tags her in a in a social media post and she ends up getting fired by the New York Police Department. And anyways, she, this story has her, it's very interesting. She's in a bar. She's in a bar drinking herself to depression. She's all upset She's and she's, she's in a bar and up walks this, what looks like this beautiful, bald-headed African queen. She looks beautiful, wearing green. It was a very attractive black woman. And uh, Jo Mullen is uh, LGBTQ. She is, she's lesbian. And she makes some comment about how good-looking she is, et cetera, et cetera. And, and bottom line is she sort of spills her beans. She's drunk. And she and ultimately this, this, this character who uh, looks very regal and elegant and beautiful, like I said, I call her like a, you know, an African queen, she ends up uh, essentially sort of slowly morphing into, I guess, a, a guardian. And it's really weird because guardians look like guardians. We all know what a guardian of Oa looks like. They're small. They're basically small midgets with blue skin. Well, this one looks, it's weird. I don't know if they, I didn't know they had the ability to change their appearance, but this, this is actually a rogue guardian of some kind. And this is the guardian that decided to, out of the blue, just Give Joe Mealy and her, her powers. So I don't know. It seems really weird to me. That was my only like constructive criticism. Where did this guardian come from and just decided to go randomly to Earth where there's there's already four or five lanterns on Earth and you're going to just, why is this guardian going to Earth to look for a random disgruntled woman to appoint her a guardian and, and then send her off to the far sector to the to to the city enduring to, to, to prove herself? It just seemed really, really weird and off to me. Now, I realized that Kyle Rayner was sort of that way as well, but there was more verisimilitude in Kyle Rayner's story because the Guardian, you know, Ganthet that gave the ring to, to Kyle Rayner, that was a, des- a desperation move because Kyle Rayner was the torchbearer. It was a desperate move. He had no choice. So I, so I'm, I don't mean to be overly critical here. Absolutely beautifully drawn. The art's fantastic on, uh, on, this, sto- on this story. I don't know... You know, again, it doesn't have it doesn't have a, a, a the preview copy here that we're looking at doesn't have a, an actual page like the other stories did, but the art's really good. And yeah, this, I mean, you can tell it's Jamal Campbell. Jamal Campbell, yeah. I mean, it's fantastic. It's beautiful art. I just, uh, but and part of me I think is because the way DC has been so bad. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's true. DC's been editorially mismanaged, I think. Uh, or maybe they just don't have the money or the resources to put these characters, give these characters more room to shine in their own series. I would have liked to have seen more of, of uh, Joe Mullen in her own series with more stories rather than, you know, I hate it when when you get good stories like this that pique my interest, when they're crammed in an anthology like this, and they're, because inevitably they're going to be crammed in with stories that I don't like the majority of the stories. And so that's the only downside I have to these anthologies. You know, I, I like to, uh, I'd like to see more of this. So, uh, and, and I don't know if we're going to be seeing more of Joe Mullen Green Lantern anymore, quite frankly, because we know we're going to be seeing Hal Jordan uh, and uh, John Stewart in the in the Green Lantern written by PKJ, and of course uh, Jeremy Adams will be writing the Hal Jordan 
uh, story, and uh, PKJ will be doing the backup for of John Stewart in Green Lantern. But we're not. What's going to happen to Joe Mullen here? I, I don't know. But hopefully, we'll see her in in the pages of Green Lantern, either with Hal Jordan or uh, John Stewart. But. Uh, in any event, a uh, lot to cover here in DC Power. Moral of the story is, for people that are curious, I actually recommend picking this up. Between the who's who and between, I think these stories, other than, there, there are some stories that not all are going to appeal to you, but this is a nice backup and it's, it's reasonably well written. Not all of them are going to hit with everybody, but you'll get a good, I think a good overall cross section of characters that frankly, we don't see enough of. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, all right, up next, another, I guess it's an anthology. It's three, I think three stories, Lazarus Planet, Legends Reborn, another one of these Lazarus Planet tie-ins. Several stories in here. The first one's Masks and Monsters, stars Renee Montoya slash Question, Alex Segura, the writer, Clayton Henry, the artist, Marcelo Maiello on colors, Pat Brosso on letters. The second story is a Raven and, um, and Beast Boy story. Uh, and there's, again, no credit, credits page. I have to uh, scroll through. It's written by Alex Pacnadel. Christopher Mitten is the artist from Mulo Farado Jr. on colors. Troy Petrie on letters. City Boy is the next story. Greg Pak is the writer. Minkyu Jung is the artist. Sonny Go on colors. Wes Abbott on letters. Uh, up next, we have a Firestorm story. Uh, and I'm just looking for the credits really quickly. Uh this one, yeah, this is the last story. It's written by Dennis Culver, drawn by Jesus Moreno, colors by Ramulo Fardo Jr., and letters by Dave Sharp. So what would you think of this? Uh, wow. Um, okay. The <laughs> Frankly, uh, I have to say that, uh, and I, I, I hinted at this last week, all of these Lazarus Planet tie-ins – the vast majority, 90% of them, 90% of all their content, you can pretty much skip, in my opinion. However, every now and then, there's always some nugget, some gold nugget in there that I think piques my interest moving forward. The The, the purpose of the Lazarus Planet one-shots here, the, the Legends Reborn, the Krypton, Pack of Krypton, or whatever the hell it was, and all these little side names, they really mean nothing, quite frankly. What What... Basically, what they are—they're just excuses to 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 put new characters on the board in the DC universe, and to sort of lead to—I'm assuming—create new interesting characters or give new spins on characters we already know. Moving forward into this dawn of the DCU, so I get it, and so that's that's what I expect. Uh, having said that, I don't know what the purpose of masks and monsters were. The Renee Montoya story. Guess what? For Nea Montoya, she's the question. Do her powers change in this story? No. This is just her as Renee Montoya. She she investigates uh, as the question. She investigates uh, essentially a, a murderer who has been hit with the Lazarus reign and who becomes a demon. And she ends up stopping the demon. And that's really the end of the story. That's it. She just ends up stopping a demon. What's the point of that? I don't know. Uh, literally, we got different. What, what's happening is we know that different people all over the world are getting hit with Lazarus resin. And this is one particular person as a psychopath, a, a serial killer who's killed, killed pe 
10 people. He's located near Arkham Tower and he's killed 10 different people. And Rene Montoya, as the question, basically defeats him and takes him out. And, and that's really the, the, the end of that story. It's cool to see the question again, but I'm not sure. Again, it, there's nothing new about it's not a new character. It's just just a, a, a generic, one-dimensional bad guy. Completely squandered, completely pointless, lacking any degree of creativity given the fact of what you have to work with. I was extremely disappointed. Writer Alex Segarra, I would think you'd come up with a better idea than that than just, oh, a bad guy who gets hit by Lazarus Rain turns into a demon defeated by a woman with martial arts skills, and that's the end of the story. That's it. That's your contribution. That's your potential. You had sky's the limit. You got Lazarus, Resin. It's raining from the sky. You can do literally create whatever character you want for any story you want dealing with the question, and that's what you come up with. I'm sorry to be so harsh, but man, I expected so much more. But that lack of creativity is endemic through most of Lazarus' planet, in my opinion. But I'll get to some compliments in a moment. Unfortunately, it won't be for the next one, and that's the Raven and Beast Boy story. These are characters which... I know these are fan favorite characters that are beloved. Uh, I, I haven't loved Beast Boy and Raven since going back to the Warven or Wolf, Wolfman and Perez days. And I still, I see, have no, I have no reason to, to like these characters. This is just Raven, it, Raven and Beast Boy are sort of, they're, in this story, they're pulled into an area where, I set, where, they, where she senses that three human beings have become demons. And... All it is is they end up battling Trigon because Trigon ends, you know, Trigon shows up, kills two of the demons because they're not worthy and welcomes the third human that was turned into a demon, gives him a name, dubs him Trilogy, literally calls this new character Trilogy and drags this young man who's now a demon who, whose name is Liam, who Trigon calls him Trilogy and walks off with him into the pits of hell. So now, I guess, Trigon has a sidekick named Trilogy because that was really important because we don't have enough demons in the DC universe. I guess that's okay. We'll see more of them. So this is, all of these Lazarus Planet issues are their speculator alerts, potentially. Uh, but I guarantee you that if any of these characters ever become interesting, so be it. They're not interesting in these originating stories by any metric. Uh, I was, again, very disappointed in this. Uh, and it just seems, it just seems silly. It just seems silly. They, they, these are such boring, boring origins. Literally, it's just, all, all these characters are just, it's just like Power Girl getting telepathy. Okay, Power Girl's got telepathy now. Let's have a boring story to go with it. There's just nothing exciting about these origin stories whatsoever. I just really, I, I just wish there was a, more of an ounce of some creativity there. <laughs> then we get into City Boy. City Boy, written by Greg Pak. I want to. Uh, this is my favorite story. I want to give writer Greg Pak some credit here because we first saw City Boy in the 30th anniversary Wildstorm special, which you and I reviewed last month. And he's actually he's almost like the sidekick to to the Jack Hawksmore uh, of the Authority, where he can communicate with cities. So he can sort of read and communicate with a, with a city. A city is uh, is like a, a living, living, breathing thing. Just like Swamp Thing can communicate with the green, can communicate with the nature, uh, Jack, Jack Hawksmore and this new character, this city boy, can communicate with the heart of a city. And basically this issue has city boy, he... He, what he does is he scavenges for a living. He can talk kind of like somehow he can, metaf he can somehow talk to a city and the city will tell him where certain things are hidden. And 
And he's already, and what's so odd about this, Jace, is that he already, City Boy already has a power to communicate with cities. And all that Lazarus Rain does, he gets hit with Lazarus Lightning. All it does is that it enhances the power he already has. <laughs> oh, boring. So, so I don't know. It's just sort of an excuse. He already had powers. And all the power gave to him extra is that one of these rats, one of these dead rats comes back to life and becomes his pet sidekick. And, and now he can communicate more with the city, but the same as he did before, but even more so. And what he does, just to make sure, just so that we readers know that City Boy is really a good guy, is that he 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 ends up uh, almost drowning in, in the sewer pits because he, in communicating with the city, he now has the ability to walk through cement or to phase through cement, phase through buildings, because he can transport any from, I'm guessing that he can transport from any part of the city to any other part of the city. He just sort of, he has ability to sort of like go through the cracks and he has some ability to do that. And he, and unfortunately he does that and he ends up in a sewage. Uh, he's drowning. He gets rescued by Nightwing, but not before he, he touches a tiara. He manages to find a piece of jewelry, a jeweled tiara that whenever he touches something, like earlier in the issue, he found a batarang. He found an old batarang that had been used that was still working. He can, he has visions of the original owner of whatever he touches. And so he can, he had visions of Nightwing and he had visions of this old lady who lost this jewelry. And she ends up, he ends up returning the jewelry to, to an old lady, uh, but he refuses to give the, the batarang back to Nightwing. And, and so now it's, it's to be continued. So now we have this city boy for future issues. I actually find city boy interesting. He's a younger version of Jack Hawksmore. We did see Jack Hawksmore try to get a hold of him and try to befriend him in the Wildstorm special to no avail. But that is the most interesting character, I think, in this entire particular issue. Um, do you want to comment on that or do you want me to move, keep going on? No, go ahead. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Um, the next one deals with uh, Firestorm. Firestorm, uh, for fans of Firestorm, I'll say this. Uh, isn't it interesting that with Firestorm, over the years, we've had uh, Ronnie Raymond and Professor uh, Professor Martin Stein. They combined as part of the Firestorm Matrix. And then we had Jason Rush, or Jason, Jason Rush and Martin Stein were in the Matrix. Then it was Jason Rush and, and Firehawk formed a Matrix. And then Jason Rush and Ronnie Raymond were in the Matrix. And so there's always different iterations of, of who makes up the Firestorm Matrix. And in this one, we now get surprise, surprise, because of the Lazarus reign, thanks to the stunning creativity of the writers of DC, now we have another different combination of those that make up the Firestorm Matrix. Uh, because we want to check off a box, now we have a Hispanic character. Uh, Dr. Rodriguez is combining with Ronnie Raymond to make up the Firestorm Matrix. And there's one little twist. They battle a Shadow Demon, which there's a Matrix explosion. Somehow the Shadow Demon pops out of nowhere, just for reasons. And they, in order to defeat it, Ronnie Raymond, because Professor Stein is incapacitated, he's got to merge with Dr. Rodriguez. And he merges with Dr. Rodriguez. They defeat this Shadow Demon, but they soon discover that upon... Um, Dividing themselves back to uh, their, their their human form, Dr. Rodriguez ages considerably, just like uh, Martin Stein did. And so they have to merge again in order to save Dr. Rodriguez's life because there's something wrong with the Firestorm Matrix that is causing premature aging uh, because the time is being robbed from Professor uh, Rodriguez at, in order to 
create energy for the firestorm matrix and it's it promises to be continued at some point in the future um I personally don't have any interest in that. That doesn't, that doesn't, I don't find that interesting. I, I need, it, it, none of these hooked me. The only one that I found interesting was City Boy and uh, my, my, and the rest I thought were very, just frankly, uninteresting stories. I, I was actually, I was actually overall, I was extremely disappointed in, in these issues. I see nothing interesting about these characters moving forward other than City Boy. Uh, but the other ones were just sort of par for the course. And I was, man, I was looking for so much more. It's very obvious that they just, that DC just bored. They're completely out of ideas. And they just said, you know, give us one shot stories of you can create whatever characters you want. You can give them you can give them shitty origins. You can get you. You can be lazy in your writing. It doesn't matter because we can just blame it on the rain. Blame it on the rain. You know uh, that's what it is. All this is being blamed on the rain. Rain, so they don't have to come up with compelling origin stories. And I just, I'm just so disappointed. But uh, am I being too harsh? Yes, hundred percent. You're being way, way, way too harsh. <laughs> you were the one that was excited for Lazarus Planet. I can't believe I'm enjoying it more than you. Yeah. Uh, Alex Segura, if you're not familiar with his work as a novelist, the guy writes like true crime and he loves comics. So this, I thought the Rene Montoya story question was a good mix of that. Uh, I, I like the procedural feel of it. It's got a little bit of a GCPD feel, but then, yeah, I mean, it is the rain. That's the point that it's bringing out kind of the, the bad stuff that, you know, it's magnifying whatever it is. And in the case of this serial killer, killer that they've been, um, you know, looking for the evil monster that's inside of him, the rain manifests it so that it, it comes out and he actually looks like a monster. Is it the most original idea? No, but with the, the language and the pacing and, and, and the tone and the feel, it's a, I thought a very good mix of something that feels like true crime or a, you know, like a law and order episode or something like that. And, and the DCU. So I, you know, I enjoyed that. Plus the Clayton Henry art I thought was, was really fantastic. I uh, didn't care for the art as much in the Raven and Beast Boy story. And I don't know, whenever Beast Boy's on the page now, uh, I keep going back to the fact that isn't he merged with Cyborg? Like, you know, uh, again, yeah. that's just left under the rug, <laughs> uh, I guess. So, that yeah, that one was, was only okay and it didn't really go anywhere. The City Boy, yeah, you know, I, I, I agree with your sentiments there. I think Greg Pak is doing a fantastic job. He is a very intriguing character. Um and I do, I do share a little bit of your criticism of the, um, of the Firestorm story in as much as, man, who's – like so many people have been part of the Firestorm Matrix at one – I wish that they had never done anything but just – can we just keep it Ronnie Raymond and Martin Stein? Maybe one other person, maybe Jason Rush and Ronnie. Like it's been so many different combinations and you know the, the revelation that Martin Stein was actually this you know avatar of – fire or blah, blah, blah. And he, and he manipulated things. And, you know, R Ronnie even makes mention of it here. You, you tricked me into becoming part of the firestorm matrix and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Do we really need another person? Not really. At least it certainly doesn't feel like we need another person as part of the firestorm matrix, but it, it is what we have here. So I'm just glad to see firestorm. Like he hasn't shown up in a, in a really long time. So it That's was just true. nice. Yeah, it was just nice to see him. Um, so, yeah. Uh, overall, I, I thought it was okay. I clearly liked it better than you. Are these groundbreaking or memorable? No, probably not. But I, I thought they were they were fun enough uh, for what they were. So, 
Uh, all right. On to the last one. Hopefully you like that more. There's three stories here. <laughs> past, present, future. Uh, it's Flash One Minute War Special. The past stories written by Jeremy Adams. Pencils by Fernando Passerin. Inks by Matt Ryan and Jason Paz. Colors by Matt Herms and Letters by Rob Lee. And then the present story, also written by Adams, this time with Serge Acuna as the artist. Colors by Rebecca Nalti and Letters by Rob Lee. And then uh, the future story... Uh, or I'm sorry, there's a second present story, part two, written by Jeremy Adams, art by Lissandro Esterin, colors by Patricio Del Pitch, and uh, letters by Rob Lee. And then uh, the final story, which is the future story, which is written by Jeremy Adams, is uh, has art by George Kamambatas. Matt Herms is the colorist, and Rob Lee does the letters. So I, I wish that it was one artist throughout. Um, I, I wish it was a a consistent look. Not that any of the art is bad. It's all good on its own, but it just doesn't flow very well together. I mean, I understand it's a lot of work for just one artist. So I, you know, I understand them putting more than one artist on it. Um, I thought the past story was the most interesting because it gives the origin of the fraction and it's an interesting origin. You almost sort of feel sorry for them or identify with them a little bit, relate to them. When you hear about the things that are going wrong with their planet, but then clearly they, they take things way, way too far. The first present story, Jeremy Adams starring Avery, um, who we've seen before in Joshua Williamson's Flash Run, I thought was was pretty interesting. Um, she's just a fun character. I, I wish that we'd gotten to see more of her. Um, the second present story with the um, with the art by Lissandro Esther, and this is probably my least favorite art, uh, it just it's watercolor and it's just not not my cup of tea. But it's a it's a Godspeed story and it's been a long time since we've seen him on the page. So it was interesting to see him come back. It just God when the the page where he's revealed, it, it's just the art is so bad. I just didn't care for it. Um, and then the last story, yeah, the art's okay by Combatus. I don't know that this is this sort of story really suits his style. Um, but it was nice to see. Jay all grown up and, and acting the hero. So overall, it's a fun story. I feel uh, a fun uh, anthology, although I feel like the only story that's really necessary is the first one because it gives so much context and backstory to to the fraction. So what were your thoughts on this? Well, I think I enjoyed all the stories they were. I, I will say this, that I think that uh, if Jeremy Adams had been better appreciated faster by the powers that be the DC. If DC had, had recognized what they had with Jeremy Adams as soon as we us fans did. And maybe in fairness, it takes time to put these comic book stories together. You know, because Jeremy Adams is a writer. He's really come into his own over the last year. He's really impressed us fans, as, as, as fans of Flash. I would have, uh, I think that uh, Jeremy Adams, his stories, and Jeremy Adams wrote all the stories in this Flash uh, uh, One Minute War special. And... I think I think the writing is very good. I do think that the writing that the art overall is adequate. And that's the best I can say about it. It's adequate. It's not quite up to snuff, but it's okay. I'm going to say this and and I mean this. I don't mean this. I, I I'm being very picky here. And I said this before, but I one of the issues that I have with it is if is that if if this is a 1 minute war, one of the things that Avery said in in the the 
Avery the Flash in the in the present storyline where she's battling this Dark Wu. She's battling this Dark Wu character that steals her soul and and uh, and then all of a sudden time stops because that's just right when the fraction attacks and she makes the observation which has been noted in the in the Flash series already that that they're caught, she's caught in super speed mode. All of the flashes are caught in super speed mode and and the fraction themselves, all the army of the faction are also in super speed mode. They're constantly in the speed force because of technology. But the flashes are organic conduits. They already embody the speed force. So they're already constantly moving at super speed. What I don't like is there's, there is, I wish there was a visual representation or something different about the visuals to indicate that we have a war within the speed force. Uh, either, uh, and I don't know how that, how artistically that can be rendered. But if this is, if the flashes, if everyone's frozen, then it shouldn't. Then, then the flashes and the fractions should look visibly. They should visually be drawn different, either with lightning all around them or some sort of aura around them, to designate them as being fighting within the speed force. To give the essence that this is a one-minute war, that this is a speed. Now, maybe I'm being nitpicky on that. I just I feel that visually. If ever there was a concept that required one artist with with a whole slew of interesting concepts of visual representation, it would be a flash one minute war. And we're not getting that. And that is uh, I think that's 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 uh, that's unfortunate. But the writing is good that I'm intrigued enough. I love Avery here. I love the adventure. She defeats the, the Dark Wu character. She gets her soul back. She manages to hold off the fraction for a brief period of time. Uh, the, 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 opening, the opening story, uh, dealing, talking about the, the past with uh, the captain of the guard, uh, the, Capris, the captain of the Empress Guard of the faction is Vel Anthro of the House of Sigma. He, they come from a world that discovered the Speed Force many eons ago, and over time, they, they created technology to access the Speed Force and to advance their technological progress, essentially at super speed, and they're a very powerful race, and they've basically been conquering worlds through the Speed Force since then, and uh, of course, now they've come upon Earth. And what they do is that they come across organic conduits, people like Wally West, Barry Allen, Avery, Jay Garrick, etc., etc., Jesse Quick, anybody, all the flashes are, are organic conduits of the Speed Force, and they basically use them. And they're, of course, they're always a threat, one of the first threats they have to deal, deal with. This captain of the guard is, he's, he's, uh, He's betrothed to marry the Empress, of, and, uh, and so he's got a vested interest to succeed in, in conquering Earth because it's for the Empress, and he wants to marry her and gain his, and, and increase his power. And so I like that. It, it's interesting. I like uh, one, of, one of my favorite stories is, uh, while the art's not very good, artist uh is the is with, with godspeed it's so great to see godspeed but my god you want to talk about poor visuals i wish lisandro etherin i mean again uh not the greatest art uh it's it's not appropriate for this sort of flash story it's just completely out of whack backgrounds just aren't there there's almost i mean there's a complete inability to draw lightning i'm i'm, I'm pretty sure a first grader could draw understands the concept of what lightning looks like but it's Apparently, it's it's missed uh, by the artist here. And again, I don't mean to be harsh, but come on, man. Uh, this is this is a one minute war. This is a flash. This is Godspeed. This is 
this art just doesn't cut it for me and it's really unfortunate but it uh it's still the this the narrative is strong enough that it can survive this uh this these artistic uh deficiencies but um uh again this is i i can't believe dc come on man what are you doing like you know, I get on the phone. Like, there's artists out there that are better than this, and we're we're seeing this in the anthologies too. What are you doing, looking for new artists? Pay a little bit more and get get the A-listers. And uh, and in any event, the future story is great because it's Jay and Gold, the Gold Beetle. We know from past stories uh, during the last year and post Future State that the Gold Beetle ends up uh, in love with with Jay uh, West. And uh, Jay being the brother, Jay and Irie being the sons of Wall, uh, son and daughter of Wall, Wally West. It's a great story, and it's it's a lot of fun. And how exactly how it's going to play out, and how that relates to One Minute War, I'm not sure. I suspect that all the flashes from various time periods may have to come together to defeat the the fraction. That's my my guess. But overall, I want to be clear here. I'm being very critical on the art, but I'm really enjoying this. I'm enjoying the one minute war. Okay. I'm just, I just, I wish there was more artistic consistency. And I think for how much better this could be. If, can you imagine having one like Daniel Semper? Can you imagine one consistent artist for seven or eight issues of a one minute war? How amazing that would be, you know, and that's not the fault of any one individual artist here. I know it's, each artist has their own style. And in fairness, I don't think they had enough time to maybe communicate different ways of artistically rendering this. But I just, uh, I, again, the writing's great, all written by Jeremy Adams. I, I just wish that the visuals were more up to snuff. So. Yeah, again, I, I don't disagree with you. Uh, I think for the most part, these are interesting stories, but they just, yeah, the art doesn't quite live up to the, potential of the story so well it sounds like it was definitely a down week for you so dare i ask what uh, book of the week book of the week was uh all right my my book of the week i uh, you know what i'm still I, i'm i would have to go with flash one minute war i think the power of the narrative i, I i'm really excited to see godspeed and and i seeing gold beetle and and getting the history of the faction fraction i actually really enjoyed that so i would i would go with uh i would go with flash one minute war what about yourself yeah i i mean i thought lazarus planet was pretty solid as well but mm. yeah i think ultimately i would go with uh with Flash, One Minute War Special as well. Uh, and there is only one collection this week. It's Harley Quinn Volume 2, keep, the Keepsake uh, story, Keepsake Trade Paperback, uh, which we thought was okay, uh, if memory serves. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so uh, I guess that's going to do it. You got anything that you want to uh, plug for people here? Uh, actually, this week, no, I'm afraid, I, I'm afraid I'm very, very busy at work, so I might do something on the weekend, but I haven't really decided it yet. There's a couple of indie comics I might review, but I haven't decided, so I'm just too busy at work. So uh, what about yourself? You got some interviews coming up? Or? Yeah, there is an interview that's coming up. Um, same day this drops, actually, for a, a Zoop campaign that's starting off uh, about uh, the Legend of Gilgamesh, actually. Mm-hmm. Um it's a second issue of a, of a series. I, I got to read the first issue. It's pretty solid. Um, so, you know, if you're somebody that's looking to give your kids a little bit of education while they're reading their comics, you might want to listen to that. So um, other than that, I should, yeah, I should have some other interviews coming up, but nothing that I can announce at this time. 
Well, well, good. All right. All right. That's going to do it for this episode, everybody. We really appreciate you joining us as always. Don't forget to head over to YouTube if you don't subscribe already to Rocky's channel and subscribe. It is comic space boom exclamation point. Uh, and uh, like this video and leave comments and all that kind of stuff. We get some pretty good conversations going at times. Uh, conversely, if you check us out on YouTube all the time, then be sure to head over to wherever you get your podcast and do a search for the comic source and subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the audio only content. So that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. We appreciate you listening as always, and we'll talk to you next time. See you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.